I'm going to ask Bobby Kimmerer wherever he, if he would come up here. Several years ago, we started something called our Philippians 1-6 testimony. We'll do this each week, and we'll, 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 we'll do it for a while, and then we'll take a break, and then we'll come back to it. And This is an opportunity for you to get to know our church people better, and, and also for you to see about how Jesus changed his lives. I call it the Philippians 1-6 testimony because in that verse in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, I am sure of this, that the God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What a good verse. That means that if God has started a work in your life, you can believe the promise that He's going to finish it. So if God's not finishing the work in you, maybe He hasn't started it yet. Maybe you haven't bowed the knee, so to speak, as the choir just sang. Maybe you need to get right with God because the promise of God is that we are a work in progress and, and it is true for every one of you who are trusting in Christ that you are not what you're going to be in heaven when God finishes His work in you, making you fully like His Son, Jesus. But, praise God, you're not what you used to be. Praise God, His mercy is there in your life, His grace is there, and He's forgiven you. So that we do this testimony and make it easier on the folks, that I will ask a few questions and allow Bobby to answer. So Bobby, thanks for being willing today. You're kind of the guinea pig, first time in a while. And uh, so let me begin with this question. Bobby, tell us, how did you come to know Jesus? Good morning, church. Uh, boy, am I nervous, right? Um, I grew up in Oregon, small little church there, and uh, like a lot of y'all, grew up in the church. I've searched my mind. I can't remember that pivotal moment, but I was 12 years old when I put my trust in Jesus. I uh, remember asking my great uncle to baptize me, and just from there on, I've always knew that Jesus was with me. Mm. So 12 years old? 12 years old. So you've been a Christian for a while now. Your uncle was influential, at least baptized you, and you heard him say he's from Oregon, so he's not originally a Fairdalian. Nope. Okay, so it's been a while since you've been a Christian. Looking back, Bobby, uh, what do you see was a season of your life where God grew you, like a, a signpost or a, or a time where you knew God was working? Well, growing up in Oregon, uh, we later on moved to California. I went off, joined the military, and uh, went off to uh, Germany. I get emotional, sorry. Let me get through this. Uh, went off to Germany, got stationed there. Uh, later came here, met my wife, and uh, that was uh, 1994. And in all that time, I had no church, had no foundation. And I kind of left the church in a way, right? So fast forward to uh, 2009 and went through a crisis. You know, a lot of people have been through a crisis. But Lee and I discussed uh, one of the things we needed to do to get through this crisis was we needed to find a church, find a family. And uh, we did. We found a church. And uh, within three months, I think it was, uh, both my wife and my son put their trust in Jesus and were baptized. And so Jesus didn't just save them. They saved my family. Mm. Wow. Uh, let me make a comment on that. Bobby's standing up here before you all saying that he was wrong, that he had gotten, gotten out of church, but God used a crisis to not only get him back to the Lord, but to get his family focused on the Lord, to save his wife, save his son, to bring them all together. Listen, when we're in the crisis, don't think God is against you. Believe what he says, that he's with you and he's working through it. Bobby is a living testimony of that. We praise God for that. Praise God. 
Well, let me ask you lastly, Bobby, last question. And this one's the, often the hardest. How do you think God's growing you now? So he saved you when you were 12, used a crisis to really get you back focused on him, work in your family, then your family's focused on him. What about now, 2016? How is God working in your life? I see my church in layers. There's a church I grew up in. There was a church that saved my family. There was a church that uh, allowed me to learn how to serve. And then there's the church that became my family. So when I came here, this church, and really started to put together all the stuff I had learned up to this time, serving in the church, I got the opportunity to uh, uh, be a teacher for Vacation Bible School. I was exhausted after that. We, my family and I were exhausted. It was so much work, but it's one of the greatest things I've ever done. And I can't wait to do it again. Mm. So it, it's, it's serving with joy. We have the Fairdale Fair coming up. I'm part of that. <laughs> Sign up. It's, serving is a great joy now. Mm. Yeah, we, we thank God for that. It's often hard to be able to say how God's working in your life right now, but, but, but what a great answer that is, Bobby. We thank you for that, that just, just being involved with living for the Lord and serving Him. Amen. I think that's what He would want our response to be. So thank, thank you, Bobby. Church, join me as I pray for Bobby. Father, thank you so much for Bobby and how you've saved him, how he looks back on his life and sees through many years, through the, through the ups and the downs, through the traveling and the moving, how you guided him and how you have used all of those things to bring him to where he is and how he is a work in progress, God, growing closer and closer to you each year. We thank you, God, that you've brought him here and his family. We pray, God, that you would bless them. And we thank you for the testimony that he has that Jesus has saved his life. God, we pray your blessing upon him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Bobby. All right, let's turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 6. We'll do that each week here for a little bit, so I may, may ask you. You don't have to do it if I ask you. You can tell me no, but I'll be asking you. Mark chapter 6, we're going to pick up where we, where we left off last week. We began chapter 6 last week with the first six verses, and today we're going to go 7 through 13. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible there in front of you. The Black Bible is page 924. The Black Bible there in front of you, Pew Bible, page 924. I've had a lot of opportunity to work with young people at camps, retreats, and conferences, and, and things like that, and it's one of the most uh, fun or funny times of camps and conferences is when the leaders get to go over the rules. Some of the best times I've laughed is watched uh, camp leaders go over the rules of camp. It's always hilarious. They usually put together a video uh, presentation and, and, and really make it enjoyable to go over the rules, but rules are rules, right, and rules have a purpose, and uh, I've got just some, some great memories of rules, but one of the rules that you hear at every single camp or conference or retreat that you go to for young people is that you are never, ever, ever to be alone by yourself. Do not wander off into the woods by yourself. Do not uh, leave the adults by yourself. Do not do that. You always need to have somebody with you. 
It's a good rule, right? It's a good rule. Never know what could happen, and so it's nice to be there in pairs. Well, in the Bible today, Jesus takes the same approach. He sends them out two by two. And yet, we understand what Jesus is trying to accomplish. Jesus' people have a mission, have a purpose. The whole creation of the world was created that people would hear about God's great love and that He forgives people of their sins. That is the climax of everything. You are to try to understand everything that you're dealing with right now through Jesus as Lord and Savior and King. That's how life is to make sense to you. So the mission of God's people is to help people to see that. And we help people to see that by preaching and teaching the Word of God. Not so much by how we live, but so much as how we live as we are proclaiming. And he does this by a two-by-two two strategy. Read with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two-by-two. And gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whatever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, then they will not, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them." So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. I want you to see in this passage today three points. We are specific in our purpose. We are strategic in our position. And we are sharp in our proclamation. Specific in our purpose, strategic in our position, and sharp in our proclamation. One of the most frustrating things in the world is to find yourself in the middle of doing something and then to ask, what are we even trying to accomplish here? What's the goal? Why am I doing this? And so it is with church. Many of people over the last 50 years have concluded, I don't need church. It's common today to hear somebody to say, oh, I can be a Christian without church, which is one of the most foolish things someone can say if they read the Bible and seek to follow Jesus. But many will say it because they don't understand the purpose. They don't understand the point. They don't catch the vision of Jesus and the church. They don't know it, possibly. We are to be specific in our purpose. Look here. Look in these first few verses of this passage how crystal clear it is that Jesus is the one feeding and inspiring what they are doing. It says in verse 7 that he called the twelve. They were not in this position because they saw a sign-up sheet and thought, hey, I'll be great at this. They were in this position because the one in charge of the mission, the one who is the, the catalyst, the one who is the accomplisher, the one who is the king of the kingdom, the king of the mission, had enlisted them, called them in, and said, you're going to work for me. They were called. If you recall just a couple chapters back, 
Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 13, he called the twelve to be his apostles. At this point, they are already, in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, they are already his twelve apostles, and everybody knows that. They are his men, they are his army, they are, they are, they are all he needs, if you will, to start the gospel-spreading message throughout the whole world, to begin the church. They're all he needed was those twelve. And you see that in Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, where he calls them. Let me, re let me read that to you. And he went upon the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired and they came to him and he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out he said he might send them out we're going to see him sending them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Those are the twelve that he's talking about. You flip back now to Mark chapter 6, verse 7, and it says, He called them. And then it says, secondly, He began to send them out two by two. So we don't know what the pairs were, but He would have been pairing them up. Picture Jesus taking the 12 and, and just lining them up here and saying, okay, let me, let me get you two. Okay, here's where y'all are going to go. Y'all go this direction, okay? You two, y'all come right here. Y'all go this direction. Here's where I want you to go. And then, and then you two, y'all going to go this way. It's where I want you to go. And you two, see how many we got left, okay? Two more, y'all come over here. This is where I want you to go. See, four left, okay? Y'all two come over here. I want you to go here, okay? You last two, hey, y'all got to be together. Come on. Uh, y'all two are going to come together and y'all going this way. And Jesus now, out of the 12, makes six pairs of two. That's only six, right? Six pairs of two. And now he has said, you're going here, 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 here. Jesus is specific in the purpose that, hey, I want my message of preaching to get there. It wasn't, hey, you 12 years, what y'all do? Why don't y'all just spread out and go preach the gospel? And all of a sudden, all 12 of them go right over here, right? And all of them just went straight to the east end, right? Or all of them just went straight over here. They all of them just went straight over here. No, it was specific in the purpose. Two by two, he called them, he sent them. You can picture somebody going, man, come, come this way. Man, I know all these streets. I've been here before. Man, I used to run these roads. I'm going to come back over here. My, my uncle lives over here. We'll go over here. And then one group go over here. Man, I've never been in this. I've never been over here. They still went, though. Why? Because Jesus had a purpose. He called them. He sent them there. That's what they were doing. It was specific in our purpose. Look what it says next. He gave them authority. I love that phrase. Folks, we're not looking for awesome people to come and do this. I didn't pick Bobby because he's so awesome to be first. Bobby, you're a great guy. We're not looking for the people that are movers, shakers in this town. I'm not looking for the wealthy people that can come and get more people involved. Jesus will give authority to those he's called and sent out to. There is no authority and power in skilled and gifted people. We forget that. God gives skills and gifts to people because God is the one with the authority. The prettiest or the coolest or the smartest have no, no, no more authority than the ugliest and the nerdiest and the dumbest. God will use whoever He wants to use. He calls His people, He pairs them up, He sends them out, and He gives authority to them. Our church, like all 
Christian, truly Christian churches believe that the authority of Christianity, the authority of the church of Jesus Christ is in God's Word alone. It is not in the church and it is not in the pastors and it is not in those who think they're over the churches and the pastors. It is in God's Word alone and you and I and we are only, only, only faithful and good and healthy to the extent that we are obedient and accurate to the Word of God. That is it. The Word of God is the authority. Jesus after he had died for our sins, after he had been buried, and after he had risen from the grave, at the end of Matthew, so that's before this, at the end of Matthew, in the Great Commission, he brings the twelve to him, similar to this, and his first words are, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You need to have that in your understanding in your doctrine, in your theology, in what you believe. Jesus is the authoritative God of all creation. He is our ruler. He is our maker. He is the one we answer to. He is the one in charge. God the Father has given all authority to Jesus Christ. And if we will do anything like Him or for Him or to Him or through Him for His glory at all, it will only be under the authority that he has given to us. So he called them, he sent them out, he gave them authority over unclean spirits. Look at that. God has now given people the ability to deal with demons. Verse 8, he charged them. So he got them together, gave them a calling, gave them a purpose, sent them out, gave them authority, but then he says... Here's how I want you to do it. Here's how I want you to do it. He charged them. He is specific in the purpose. People are called. People are sent. People are to be on mission. People are to understand that. We are to have our calling. If you join our church, you go through the new members class, you'll learn all the details about our church that kind of makes our church who we are and one of the things that we want every one of you all to understand is our church's mission statement. It's on the front of your bulletin if you have that right now. It says that we exist. The whole reason why we're here, we exist, is to proclaim Jesus. We want people to hear about Jesus. We exist to proclaim Jesus while, that means while we're doing something else, at the same time, we love, while loving and serving both God and people. So our heart, our desire here at this church is for everybody, people, and God to be loved and served through what we do. We want loving and serving to be the characteristic of this church. When people hear this church, see this church, bump into you, interact with you, encounter you, deal with you, we want them, felt, we want them to feel loved and served. We want them to see you loving and serving. But that's not the end. That's not the goal. We want to be loving and serving while they are hearing about Jesus through our church. I like our church's mission statement. That's our purpose. So we weigh everything we do by that purpose. Should we have a booth at the Fairdale Fair this weekend? Well, only if we can proclaim Jesus while loving and serving both God and people. Should we feed a football team in the next game? Well, only if we can proclaim Jesus while loving and serving both God and people. 
Okay? This is why we do everything that we do. Should we collect Gatorade so that we can just drop them off at a team and say, hey, good luck to the game tonight, hope you win? Absolutely, because we can do that while we're loving and serving both God and people. You see what I'm saying? We have a purpose. Jesus calls them, sends them, gives them authority, charges them. It is crystal clear that there is a specific purpose for them. But secondly, there's a strategy behind it. They're strategic in our position. They were strategic in their position. We are strategic in our position. And that's why I didn't say much about the charging. After he called them, sent them, gave them, he also charged them, and look what he said. He said, here's what I want you to do. You're going to go out and preach the gospel. You're going to go out and reach people. You're going to go out and tell them about the forgiveness of sins that is available through my love and through the work that I'm going to do on the cross. But here's how I want you to do it. There's a strategy here. We see strategy throughout the Bible. Man, there's strategy everywhere, right? We've already seen several times that Jesus says, hey, don't tell anybody. The other guy, Jesus says, go tell everybody. Next passage, don't tell anybody. And you're like, what, what's he doing? I got a plan, he says. I got a strategy here. I know what I'm doing. To the Jews, don't tell anybody. I'm trying to get to the cross. I don't want anybody getting in the way of me getting to the cross. To the Gentiles, go tell them all. Let them know about me. It's awesome. He's strategic. He's not careless in how he lives. I hope you know that life needs a strategy. You need a to-do list in the morning if you're going to try to get some things accomplished. If you want to be able to spend some money in a couple years, you need to be saving money today. Life takes strategy. You need to know that. Don't be foolish. Jesus is strategic in the position that he gives them. There's an urgency about it. There's a, hey, we don't have forever here. Hey, hey, there, there, there's, there's a watch. There was a song that came out years ago that said, this is an emergency, and it was speaking about Christianity. People are dying all the time. I just got an, an email this week about how many people are dying from heroin right around us. And Fairdale is bad, and Louisville is bad, but Cincinnati is even worse. Right up the road in Cincinnati, they are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people dying of heroin every day. It's unbelievable how bad it is. You think we don't need a strategy? You think this isn't serious? You think life doesn't matter? You think the, the need for us to be a witness when we can be a witness? You think the need for us to be specific in our purpose isn't real? Yes. They're strategic in their position. Well, first of all, he sends them out two by two. He didn't do six and six. He didn't do three groups of four. He didn't do one group of twelve. He did Groups of two. Maybe he wanted to cover some more space. Maybe he knows what Ecclesiastes 4.9 says. Two are better than one. The Bible says that. You need a friend. There's strength in numbers. You need somebody that's going to pick you up when you're down. You need somebody that's going to call you out when you're wrong. Sends them out two by two. You need to know this. Among many reasons why church is important and you need to be involved in church, many is just because you can't survive by yourself. I say that to our people all the time. You're not going to survive by yourself. You'll, you'll keep telling yourself that you're surviving, but you're not. You're not going to repent of your sins. You're not going to take the Lord's Supper. You're not going to build people up in the faith. You need other people. So many of the people that I know that are Christians without church, 
that tell you that they can be a Christian without church, those are the ones that vent all of their emotions on Facebook. They, and, and then I, I'm thinking to myself, you, who are you typing that to? They're thinking that Facebook or is their friend or the friends on Facebook is their friend. But nobody's really hearing it like that. See, when you have a friend, or rather when you have a brother or sister in Christ, rather when you have a family of God, when you have a church, you don't need to tell Facebook every emotion that you feel. Because you've got people that really care who already know how you feel. The Bible teaches that you will weep with those who weep, and you will rejoice with those who rejoice. The Bible teaches that we will confess our sins to one another, that we will forgive one another. The Bible teaches that we will serve one another, that we will wash our feet. The Bible teaches, hey, how do you need me to be a brother in Christ to you? What can I do to make you stronger in Christ? How can I help? The Bible teaches in Galatians 6, chapter 1, that we are to bear one another's burdens. If it matters to you, it matters to me. If it matters to God, it matters to us. This is a good strategy, isn't it? And so I don't need to sit at home by myself and tell the open world everything that I'm feeling because God has shown me that there are people that care. If God had sent you out strategic by yourself, as soon as you had somebody try to attack you or oppose you or contradict you or debate you or whatever, you'd give up. You didn't have anybody to share your heart with, nobody to cry out to, nobody to, to pick you up or give you understanding. So what are you going to do? I'm just going to tell Facebook. But if you had that buddy with you, and now you're heading to the next town, you're talking about it on the way. You're sharpening each other as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You're dealing with it, and you're growing, and you're getting stronger strategic in the position, but then he makes it much more detailed. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. The only thing they could take was just their walking stick in case a wild dog or something comes up. They could, they could beat it away. He didn't want the strategy to be prevented, but he didn't want them to take other things. They couldn't take bread. They couldn't take a bag. They couldn't even take any money with them. They had to wear sandals. They couldn't wear two coats. They had to wear just one. What in the world's all that about? Jesus wanted them to be lowly, dependent people. Jesus wanted them to not win people over by the stuff that they have or how likable they were. Jesus wanted them to be genuine and sincere that the message was the message, that the message was the authority, take it or leave it. The Proverbs teach us that a rich man has many friends but a poor man doesn't. Sometimes people will like you not because of you, but rather because of your stuff and what they can get from you. Sometimes people will like church just because how cool it is. Sometimes if your music's rocking and jamming enough, people will come just for the music, believe it or not. And sometimes if your pastor's likable, they'll come just because the pastor. Sometimes people will come to bring their kids just because they've got games for the kids to come to. Imagine that. What we want to make sure we're clear about is what our message is, who we worship, what we believe, and how committed we are to loving and serving each other. 
We don't want to sell you a bill of goods to get you to start coming here. I don't want you to claim me as your pastor if you're not going to let me pastor you. I don't want you to be my brother in Christ if you're not going to call me out in my sins. If I'm not faithful to my wife and y'all are too scared to tell me, you don't love Jesus. If I'm a bad dad and my kids are growing cold toward Jesus in the church and none of y'all are brave enough to tell me about it, then we're not a real church. Jesus wants it to be crystal clear with these pairs of two going out. You're going to preach the gospel. Now, all the while, loving and serving, they're not going to be confrontational. They're not going to be bad guys or anything like that. But he wants them to be humble and lowly. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus teaches, it's, it's awesome, it's called the Lady of Peace. Jesus teaches that as they go to each town, somebody, God will provide somebody that just out of nowhere, a stranger, receives them and welcomes them and lets them stay there. It's neat. It's a neat strategy. They don't know where they're going to stay as they walk to the next town. But somebody says, y'all looking for a place to stay? You can stay with us. I'll feed you. The, the, the Bible teaches that that's how they were to, to go about. They were humble and lowly. They were strategic in their position. They weren't just going to whatever looked best. They didn't walk into a town and say, you got ESPN over there? Because i got to catch the game tonight. They wanted to go to the house that needed to hear the message. They wanted to be in the place where the gospel needed to be preached. You remember Paul in the book of Romans saying, I don't want to go preach the gospel where somebody else is already preaching the gospel. Paul, praise the Lord, wanted to preach the gospel in a place where somebody had never heard the gospel. And thank God for our great missionaries in the past who have said, no man deserves to hear the gospel twice if there's still some that have never heard it once. If there are people that have never heard of Jesus, it is our strategic position to tell them. When you move towns, or you buy a new house, or you're picking a church, let these things factor into your decision. Where in Louisville is there a church needed right now? And let's send some people there. What neighborhoods in Fairdale have no Christians on the street that pray for their neighbors and love their neighbors? What schools around Jefferson County have no Christians working in them and so the school's just getting bleaker and bleaker? We need to be specific in our purpose. We need to be strategic in our position. I want to live somewhere where we can make a difference. I want to work somewhere where God can use me. And I want our church to understand this is how He wants us to be. Notice these details. You're like, what in the world? But then look at verse 10. He says to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And you're like, wow. Jesus is saying, don't stay there too long. Don't get to a house that's got really nice stuff. You've got your own bedroom. Maybe you've got a TV in the bedroom. You say, I'm going to stay here for a while. Don't do that. Realize that you're going to get in, spend your time there, do your thing, share the gospel with them, but then you've got to move on to the next house. 
And even on your way out, if they've not received you well, make sure you shake off the dust and let them know you rejected us. Just want you to know you're not trusting in Jesus. Just want you to know you've not embraced God. Your sins are not forgiven. Again, not confrontational. Not pointing the finger. No fights. Just good, faithful witness. Thank you all for having us. The soup was great. Thank you. But just want you to know you all have not come to Christ. Your sins are not forgiven. God is not your father. We'll see you all next time. We're going to the next house. Man. Strategic. Strategic. Purpose. Position. It's fascinating. Make sure they know whether they've believed or not. You ever had a conversation with somebody and you, you knew they weren't saved, but they left to think that they were saved? Hey, do you have people in your family that think they're going to heaven and you know they're not going to heaven? You might need to shake the dust off. You might need to bring some clarity to it. Jesus said, stay there. Get on to the next one. When you leave, make sure they know. Strategic in our position. We want to make sure. Specific in our purpose, strategic in our position, and then lastly, sharp in our proclamation. You see that already because they're shaking off the dust on your feet as a testimony against them. Man, that sounds strong, doesn't it? A testimony against them. Verse 12, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Jesus takes his 12, pairs them up in twos, sends them out, calls them, sends them, gives them authority, and charges them. What for? Why did he do all that? Why did he give them those rules? What was the point? So that they would proclaim people should repent. You know what the word should means? You ought to. You need to. You're wrong that you're not. That's what it means. They should be repenting. What does repent mean? Repent means that they're living their lives, some of them very, very good, some of them very, very bad, but they're living their lives, and they're going this way, and then they hear about God, and they hear that they should be repenting, and so they repent and turn away from whatever life was going. Not away from good or bad, not away from, from, from uh, good works or bad works, not away from that, from away from everything that is not for Jesus. They turn away from their sins, put their eyes on Jesus, the risen Savior of the world, and now they start living for Jesus. So their life is going this way in whatever direction. They hear that they should repent of their sins and trust in Christ, and so they turn away, set their eyes on Jesus, and they go. And those 12 were sent out to tell people, you need to repent. You need to change. You need to turn around. Your life needs to change. And I want to ask you, do you understand that that's what it means to proclaim Jesus? In our mission statement, we said proclaim Jesus because we wanted the word Jesus in it. But it very well could have said we exist to proclaim repentance. Same thing, that's what we mean. We mean that you need to believe in Christ and you need to repent of your sins. But repentance in a mission statement would be pretty cloudy, wouldn't it? So we said Jesus. 
When we say proclaim Jesus, we mean to tell that Jesus is God and He died on the cross and He rose again, that if you will turn from your sins and repentance and believe in Him, God will save you from your sins. When we say proclaim Jesus, that's what we mean. When He said He sent them out to repent, that's what they meant. You need to repent of your sins, turn away from whatever life you're living, and turn to Jesus. Every single person must turn their life toward Jesus. I'm not saying that every single one of y'all are bad. I'm not saying everybody you know is bad. I'm not saying that everybody that you know is the worst person that you know. I am saying that every single person, me and you, every baby in the church, every kid in the church, everybody in the neighborhood must turn their life from wherever it's going to Jesus in order to be saved. And if you will not do that, you will not be saved. In our call, to, or not our call to worship, but in our New Testament reading, which Austin read, in Acts chapter 17, Paul and the Areopagus encounter some people who are very religious. They've made all these idols that they're worshiping. They're trying, as, as much as they know how, to know and love God, but they're, but they're wrong. So Paul comes preaching to them, and he recognizes that they're religious people, and he's, he's, he's meeting them where they're at, and he's explaining some things. But then he says, The times of ignorance God overlooked... But now God commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world. The message of the church, the message of the apostles, the message of Jesus is that you need to repent of your sins and trust in Christ as the one who can save you. If you turn back to Mark chapter 1, when Jesus began his ministry in verses 14 and 15, you will see this. This is not a new message for the apostles. This is not a new message for the, for the church. This is not an old message for us that no longer applies. This is the message. Mark chapter 1 verse 14. Now after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. That was Jesus' words. I'm here. Now's the time. Repent and get right. This week I was here at church and all of a sudden a cop pulled a, a car over in the parking lot so it caught my attention and I kind of peeked. You know how that is. I've talked about that before. You're so curious you can't walk away. I, I kept telling myself I need to just get back in the, in, in the office and be, and be studying but I just couldn't do it so I kept looking. I even did the walk over there. Cop, cop, you need anything? And I'm, I'm the pastor. said, cop, I, I just want you to know I'm the pastor here. You need anything? He said, no, I'm good. I said, okay. Walked away. Walked away. Saw the cop search the car, found a bag of weed, took it, put it up. I thought he had the guy handcuffed and arrested. I thought the guy was going to jail. The cop left, and the guy was still sitting there. So I walked over to the guy. He's sitting right out here in the parking lot in the front seat with the door open crying, sitting in his front seat crying. I said, what's up, man? He's crying, kind of pouring out his heart, messed up, can't catch a break. Life's too hard. Good excuses. I said, why didn't he take you to jail? He said, man, I don't know. I said, should he have taken you to jail? 
He said, yeah, he should have. I said, why didn't he? He said, I don't know. I said, man, well, I don't know where you're at. I don't know how you're going to deal with all this. and I don't know what's the next step for you. Have you ever thought about turning to God? Well, you know, I tried that before a couple years ago. Nothing ever happened, so I don't, I don't know, man. I said, yeah, I don't know either, but I'll tell you this. God will give you another chance. He was sitting right out here in his car crying because he just got busted for having drugs. I said, if you'll turn to him, repent, tell God you're wrong and you've messed up, not make excuses, you turn to God, God will give you another chance. God will fix all this. God will restore it. God will give you another chance. Folks, repentance is not us walking around being good church people saying, oh, y'all are wrong, y'all better get right, I'm looking down. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is that us people who aren't complete have come to know that God loves us and he will complete us in Christ. And so we're telling them to turn away from the, the wrong, misguided darkness that they're in and turn to Jesus and get right and be made whole, be forgiven, and watch God create a new life in them. That's what repentance is. And unless you will turn away from your sins, believing lies and believing foolishness and being hard-headed, unless you will turn away from that and embrace Christ, you're never, ever, ever going to know it. Life is in Jesus. And until you repent of your sins and come to Jesus, you don't understand life. He sent them out to proclaim you need to repent. Verse 13 says, And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. God gave the apostles the ability to do that to help validate the message. In the New Testament, there was not the authority of the Word of God like we have today. We believe the authority of the Word of God. If the Word of God says it, it's true. They did not have the authority of the Word of God. They were walking around ministering saying, Jesus says you need to repent. And people would say, I don't know who Jesus is. I don't care what he says. And they would have with them the authority to cast out demons and heal people who were sick. They had that authority in them. So that people would say, how are you doing that? And they would say, I told you, Jesus says repent and Jesus is God and he's given me this authority to do this. The, 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 the skills and gifts and talents that they had were a validation to Jesus is God, Jesus being God and speaking the truth. Nowadays, you don't see that near as much because the Word of God is the authority. You don't need me to cast out a demon and you don't need me to heal the sick to know that God said it. God said it. And we are to repent. I remember when I was in school, I was never really a great student. I did like to learn. I could never really make straight A's, but I tried hard. And I remember when you'd get one of those teachers that liked to lecture a lot, and you're supposed to take all those notes. And I remembered when we'd get to the test or the exam or whatever, and a question would pop up, and you'd say, that wasn't in the notes. Uh, that wasn't in the notes. So I'm not ready for that. He tried to tell the teacher, I wasn't prepared for that. He said, no, I, I lectured on it. You just didn't take the notes. They're not in your notes, but they're in my notes. 
So it didn't work. But I said I wasn't prepared for that. Y'all, the Bible says God is coming to judge the world. And the only way for you to be right and to escape it is to turn from your sins to Jesus. That's it. He loves you. He died for you. He's the only safety. Turn to Jesus. We need to be specific that that's our purpose. We need to be strategic in how we position ourselves to accomplish that purpose. And we need to be sharp in that's what we proclaim. Will you believe in Him today? Will you repent of your sins and cry out to God and say, God, save me. Make me right. Have mercy on me. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, God, that you have not left us misunderstanding and asking questions because we don't know. You have told us where to run for help. You've told us how to find shelter. You've told us where to find the food that we need, and it's all found in Jesus. Oh God, as we sang, have mercy upon us, and by your kindness lead us to repentance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.